excited about the word this morning. Yeah. Amen. I kind of lost my voice this week, and so I got to keep it real low today. You're right. So just pray for me to, to be able to contain it. Amen. One of my friends brought me a tea, and they said, you got to drink this tea, and then you got to shut up. You can't say anything. I said, you know me better than that. <laughs> That's almost, I re, better you ask me to walk on water than to shut up. Well, amen. Here's the quote this morning. Ready? Come on, let's lean in the 25 of us that are left after all the kids are gone. Let's lean in. Let's get excited about the word. Father, we just ask you to have your way this morning, God. Father, be glorified. We thank you, God, that you already here. We thank you that you bless us during worship, God. We pray that we made you smile, that we caused you to dance today with our worship, Lord. Thank you for inhabiting our praises. Right now, God, we just ask you to reach us, to teach us, and to bleach us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Here's the quote. Here's the quote this morning. Here's the quote. Where one man reads the Bible... Hundreds read you and me. Where one man searches the scriptures, hundreds search you and me. Where one man reads the word, hundreds read us. How many of you know that's true? I don't know how any of you feel about that or if you've ever considered it, but People all around you are reading you. Like, like it or not, your life's a book. How often do we ask ourselves, what message am I sending? What message am I sending? If you're just joining us, I started a message last week that I'd like to complete today. The title is simply, and it's the call that I want to just put on your lives, Be the Message. Be the message. I pray that after these two, this little short series, I pray that we would always have that in our minds, that everywhere we go, I am the message, the message of Christ, the hope of glory in me. Amen? Be the message. Listen, I've thought about this from so many different angles. And I, I remember as a young person, as a young guy, I was such a player as Gary would say, I was a player from another layer. <laughs> Sorry, Gary, I took your joke. And all that meant was that I was an incredible liar. Amen? I'm getting dirty looks from the women. <laughs> I'm taking you back to high school. Sorry. But I was an incredible liar. It was actually hard for me to tell the truth. Anybody? Come on, anybody like live that lifestyle so much where you do something so much that even when you don't have to do it, you do it, right? Because it's so hard to not be that, that, that guy. It's so hard to not be that, that person. And I remember people eventually getting to even know me as a liar. I don't know why you're laughing over there. But think about this, if you're that person, if you're that person that comes to the job or comes to the school or, or even comes to church, and you're that person that comes with the bochinche, for all my non-Latinos, that's gossip. You're that one person that goes to this group and, and you become one person with this group and then you come over here and you go to this group and you become a different person with this group but you're the one that goes back and forth and back and forth to bring, to bring the dirt. And, and people are reading you, amen? What message are you sending? Sure, people are going to love to have you around. Why? Because you bring the dirt. Right? People are going to love to have you. They love when you come. They go, uh oh, this, this lady is like watching three hours of talk reality TV or TMZ or something like that. Because she brings, and, and if you're that kind of person, when people, people love to have you around for a little bit. But as soon as you leave, People start to, because the message that you're sending, you know, those same people are reading you, and they're learning of you, 
And when you leave, they're saying, these friends ain't loyal. That girl ain't loyal. I like the rasp. That's cool. And now, now to get to, for people to know you as anything different than what they've read is extremely difficult. Amen? It's difficult to change what people have already read in you. But, you know, I'm not, I didn't bring you here today to give you the obvious. I want to give you some good news. Amen? The good news is that God has a habit of not seeing things as though they are. The good news is that God has a tendency of calling things that aren't as if they were. Somebody say amen. So on the flip side of that, if, 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 are you that person that everybody wants to talk to? Are you that person that, that people want to be around, that person that, that people go to for advice? How many, some of you are 25, 30 years old, and you have old people coming to you for advice. You're single, and you got married people coming to you for advice. Why? Because they read something in you. They read truth in you. They read loyalty in you. They read something in you. They read wisdom in you. Because you see, just like every book has a label, people read people and then label them. So people have labels given to them because of the messages that we've put out. Some of us, we label ourselves. Why? Because we read us. We know. Listen. The message in us will determine the label on us. All right, for this side. The message in us will determine the label that's on us. Last week, we read a story about Rahab. Rahab the what? Rahab the prostitute. Nobody forgot that? That label? <laughs> Rahab the prostitute. To, to put it, bit, Rahab the harlot. See, this lady Rahab is mentioned eight or nine times in the Bible, and only one or two of them is that label not on there. Only once or twice, every other time, it says label, it says the prostitute Rahab or Rahab the prostitute. Can you imagine that label? Every time you read your, oh, that's me, the liar. Wow, there's Freddie the fornicator. There's, uh, you know, uh, Aaron the addict. i got to think of names that are not here, and that's hard, you know. <laughs> there's Wilhelmina the wannabe. Hopefully there's no Wilhelminas in here. But you understand what I'm saying, right? Like your name is associated, and you know. Can you, and so, anyway, we, I told a story last week. Let me just recap real quick. This story is found in Joshua, by the way. Jo Joshua chapters 2 through all the way 6. We're not going to go through and read, read it again. We read some of the story. I told some of the story. Let me just do a quick re recap. But you should check and read that for yourselves this week. Joshua 2 through chapter 6. It says, at this point, God's people Israel were now under the leadership of Joshua. Right? Moses had died. And here they are at the foot of the hills before Jericho. They're right before the land that God promised to give his people. And in order to get to the land, they're going to have to take Jericho. And God was instructing them to enter the land of Jericho and take no prisoners. This is where the Bible gets raw. Listen, readers have looked at this story and they say God from the Old Testament is a very mean and angry, vicious, vindictive, revengeful God. And some people say that's why I won't serve God because God did this and then Listen, you don't serve God for your own reasons. Don't stop trying to look for excuses. But people, people refer to this and say, God is, is such a mean and angry God. Allow me for a few moments to paint a fuller picture of what happened here. Because I, I don't want you to see God in that light. I want you to see maybe a, a, a fuller picture of what's going on here. The word does say, and it's clear, God tells him, go in and wipe out the land. God says, I don't want you associating with these people. I don't want you playing with their children. I want every, take no prisoners, you to wipe out the enemy. This gets real good, fellas, up in here. He says, go in there. I want the husband's dead. I want the wife's dead. The children dead. If there's a chihuahua in the house, I want the chihuahua dead. I don't want nothing alive from these people. 
If the Canaanites had goldfish, kill the goldfish. Uh, the, the cattle, the donkey, the, the word is clear. It's, it's very harsh. God doesn't even want their goldfish swimming in the tanks. Very, it's a strong word. And now we can try to justify it and say, oh man, but these were really bad people. And it's true. These people were bad to the bone, man. They abused their women. They forced them into prostitution. They practiced bestiality. If you don't know what that is, you're not going to learn it from me. <laughs> Incest. I mean, they were, they were sacrifices. These people were a hot mess. A hot mess. But still, to us, that sounds harsh for God to say, go in there and kill everybody. Because we say, but this is the God of love. Where, where's all the love here, right? But we have to remember, family, God hates sin. And, and, and that's, that's something that, you know, we struggle with today because we're, we have the most people-pleasing generation of preachers that you have ever heard in your life. And we've been fed this hyper-grace message, and we think God is cool with us. We got t-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. And we think Jesus is so cool with us. Jesus loves us. Sin don't faze him. We treat Jesus like a little soft action figure. And we, we don't want Jesus the table flipper. Well, but we want Jesus the water, the wine Jesus. Right? He's like a Barbie doll. And we, we, we pick the Barbie doll that we want. We want the water, the wine Jesus. We, all of us want to hang out with that Jesus. We're at a wedding. There's no more wine. We say, yo, gee, I, I got this. Fill the vats with water and then pour out everybody's sipping Hennessy. We want the, we want the water, the wine, Jesus, but we don't want, we don't want the, 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 the table flipping. The, the Jesus that went into the temple was upset because people were making it a den of thieves. And he flipped over tables and he started making a whip. And he started whipping people to get up. We don't want that, Jesus. We want the, just let me be, Jesus. Just think good thoughts, Jesus. But God hates sin. And, and he didn't create us for sin. The wages of sin, the word says, is death. God hates sin so much that he sent his son to the cross. The, the cross is a beautiful and horrendous picture at the same time. Because the cross shows us how much God loves us. But it also shows us how much God hates sin. But anyway, where's, where's, the, where's this God of love? Where's all the love at? Here's what we should know about this story. Allow me to fill it in a little better. At this point in history, it had been 450 years since God promised to bring his people in and give them this land. So the stories have circulated throughout these people that the God of Israel is the one true God. And they've heard stories and testimonies about what God has done with other people and what God has done for his people. And they've heard all of these stories. We don't know how, how infiltrated and how much they've heard, but we can tell from Rahab's testimony that they have heard all of these stories about God. What's the problem? It's just like a lot of us. We've heard a lot of stories, right? We hear a lot of Bible stories, and but to us, some of them are fairy tales. We think, you know, those are fairy tales. Those are stories that we've been reading in Sunday school since, since we grew up. Those are, little, those, are, those are nice fables that we've been telling our kids since they were little. But we don't really believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. That's just a fun story. We don't re really believe Noah and the ark. Because that's just, you know, that's too crazy to think of a, a, as a story. That's not real. Those are stories that we've heard. And so, but it's been three, 450 years that they have been hearing that God's people are going to come and inherit this land. And for 450 years, they've heard these stories, but today is the appointed time. So here we are at the appointed time. What they've heard was going to happen is about to happen. And so, from the testimony of Rahab, we heard that these people, they were afraid because they've heard what God has done and they heard stories of what God is able to do. And because of these stories, it's the only reason that Rahab risks her life. 
Rahab risks everything by turning her back on her people and their gods. Do you understand that if, if God had been this mean, angry God that cared nothing about the Canaanites, Rahab could have risked her life for nothing. Rahab could have hid the spies and then kept them safe and then told the spies, listen, you tell God that I took care of you and so now you take care of us. You, you keep me safe. And, and God could have said, no, you're a Canaan. You're going to die like all the rest of you. But instead she, and, and what would have happened? Now she would have had her people. Can you imagine the heinous things these wicked people would have done to her and to her family? Because it says she has a, a big family. Her fathers and brothers. And who, who, can you imagine what they would have done to her? She took an opportunity. She saw an opportunity to serve God. And she took it. Side note, listen. When you see an opportunity to serve God pop up in your life, in your job, at your, at, with your friends, when you see an opportunity to serve God pop up, run through it. Run through it. Listen, because your breakthrough could be on the other side of that opportunity. Your, your deliverance could be on the other side of that opportunity. You think, well, it might just be an opportunity to shine for somebody. No, there, your, your freedom could be on the other side. The answer to your prayer could be on the other side of that opportunity. When you see an opportunity, run through it. Amen? Now, don't beat yourself up because a lot of times, how many of us missed opportunities? Right? The opportunity presents itself at work and you, and you get nervous and you start to sweat and you start to get a little like, man, I should say something. By, uh, and, and, and the opportunity comes in and, and sometimes, you know, we, we, we uh, hesitate so much because we want it to pass. Right. Amen. One of us feel that way. Good. Just me and that person. Amen. The rest of you just pay attention. But you know, an opportunity comes and you, you delay. You're like, well, let me go get water first. Well, let me go to the bathroom first. If that person's still there, then I'll do that. Let me, let me um, you know, shine my shoes first. Let me go to the store first. Let me play win for life first. Let me, and you do all these things because you're trying to push off that opportunity so that when you get back, you get, oh, that person left. Man, I was so ready to, <laughs> man. I was going to give her the gospel, the good news of the good, sweet Jesus that loves me. So, but, but it's because the person's gone already. You missed that opportunity, right? But God is so good, so relax because God will continue to give you opportunities. So don't beat yourself up when you miss an opportunity. Just get ready for the next one. Amen? Get ready for the next one. Say the next time, God, God, you give me that opportunity, I'm going to run through it. Because the answer to my prayer could be, all right, that's a whole other message, but you, you got it. So Rahab sees this opportunity, and she takes it. Because understand, Joshua didn't send two spies in to rescue the town prostitute. This wasn't a, a you know, Saving Private Ryan, where they, it was a covert spec op mission sent in to rescue the town prostitute and her family. They were sent in to scout out the land to see what's the best method to come in and kill all these people. This was hardcore. This was Navy SEAL action. They were coming in to see where are we going to get in and how are we going to kill these people most effectively. So they weren't coming in to rescue anybody. But she sees, she declares that, she declares all that she's heard about this God. She sees the opportunity to serve him. She puts her faith in him and she does it. She saves the spies. And the spies tell her, you know the story, when you hear the army entering to destroy the city, make sure that you and all of yours are in the house, let them be in your house, and make sure there's a scarlet cord sticking out your window. So when the army comes in, we'll know to pass over that house. It's a picture of the Passover from, from Moses and the deliverance of the people of Egypt. It's, it's the same picture. In the New Testament, we get the same picture. If the blood is on you, I'll pass over you. Get under the blood, and under the blood, we're safe from destruction. It's the same picture. It's the gospel from the Old Testament. It's a beautiful picture. She says, make sure the scarlet cord is sticking out of the window and we'll make sure to pass over. And, and so the rescue of Rahab proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that God extends his mercy to all who trust him and stand in faith for him. 
beyond a shadow of a doubt because God already told him, go in and kill all the Canaanites. Kill them all. But here's one that believes in him and serves him, and God says, I'm with that. I don't care that you're a Canaanite. I don't care that you're a prostitute. I don't care where you came from or what you've done, but you're, you're calling out to me and you're trusting in me and you're taking steps of faith toward me. Welcome home, my daughter. Well done, my brother. I got your back. If you're going to stand for me, I got your back. So, okay, that was good for her, but God was about to bring judgment on all the Canaanites. And so there's about to be this battle. And God says, God already declared ahead of time. He said, I'm going to get the glory for this battle. We're not going to be able to say, oh, it was the army was so smart and the army was so big. No, God is going to, this battle belongs to the Lord. See, God is always trying to teach us from the beginning that the battle, when we stand in God, the battle is his. So we get tired so many, so many times and we get worn out and we get beat up because we're fighting things we don't need to be fighting. We're wrestling with things that God didn't create us to wrestle with. God says, stand in me. Just stand in me and watch. Watch the arm wrestle. Watch how you win. Watch how the battle is mine. When we wrestle, when we fight, when we do it all in our own strength, then we're depending all on our own resources. And God says, you, your resources don't compare to what I have. When you stand in me, it's the, it's the simplest thing. It's the easiest thing. It goes against our nature, though. But we, when we stand in him, God says, your resources are endless. The size of your army is limitless. Oh, that's a whole other one. So anyway, so he tells Joshua, check this out. This is, this is cool. He tells Joshua, have all of your armed men march around the city one time. As a matter of fact, take the Ark of the Covenant and seven priests around the Ark of the Covenant and have each priest have, have a horn. So have seven priests with seven horns around the Ark of the Covenant and all of your armed men and have them march around the city blowing the, the, the horns. Have them march around the city one time and do this every day for six days. And on the seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times. And then after the seventh time, have the people give a shout. And when you shout, the actual walls will fall down. And you'll go right into the city and have victory. Amen? You have to understand. See, these cities were fortified. They had total walls. I mean, tremendous fortified walls. There were fortified walls all around with city gates and, and all this. And so, you know, you had to go in through the gate. And, and that's, you know, the gates had all kinds of protection. Everything was protected. And God is saying, all I want you to do is take your armed men and take the Ark of the Covenant, which the Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of God was. And that's the thing that they were scared of the most. They heard stories that wherever the Ark of the Covenant was, God was there. They even, even the way they crossed the Jordan to get to Jericho, they heard that story and it terrified them. He said, God told them, tell the priest to take the Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan so that your people could cross over. So the priest had to take the Ark of the Covenant and walk into the water. And it says as soon as they, their feet got in the water, the, the water from upstream stopped and all the water died out. And as long as the Ark of the Covenant was in, then all the people were able to pass. And so the armies passed. And then as soon as the armies finished, the Ark of the Covenant was marched out, and then the water came back. So God was already showing them, and they had already heard these stories that, man, wherever the Ark of the Covenant, God is there. And this God is real. He's the God of the universe. He's the God of heaven and the God of earth. And, and they already had that fear in their hearts. And so here they are now. They're walking around with the Ark of the Covenant, walking around their building, shouting, can you imagine the intimidation that this is causing to the enemy? The enemy's already scared. But now this intimidation, they're marching around and sounding horns. They're not trying to be ninjas. They're not trying to be undercover. They're not trying to sneak. They're sounding horns. They're like, yeah, we here. We here. And, and they're going around. So many, many commentators have said, man, this was... 
This was a brilliant war tactic because it was psychological warfare. They were already scared. They were already, and so having these people march around with priests blowing trumpets must have been the most intimidating thing that they could have done. And I always saw it that way, but, but I was reading this book, and, and he put it in a different way, and I never thought about it this way, but watch this. God already said he was going to win the battle. God already said he was going to win the battle supernaturally. So it wasn't a chance of can we win, can we lose. No, God already said we're going to win. And we're going to win by my might. So that means even if your soldiers turn their rifles the wrong way or, or you know, put the wrong end of the, the wrong pointy end to, toward them instead of out, and even if they fought with broom handles and mops, you're going to win because I'm going to win this battle. Right? So... So, so, so you got to think about this now. So then why the show? Why march around once every day for six days? Why do that? Why not just send the army to march around, scare the hell out of them for a minute, and then shout and destroy everybody? Could it be, watch this, could it be that even in the Old Testament here, grace shows up? Could it be that God was giving these wicked, wicked, dirty, filthy Canaanite people six days to reflect on their decisions? Could it be that he was giving them six days to make it to Rahab's house? Could it be that he was giving Rahab six days to reach as many people as she could? To tell as many people for her family, to tell as many people as they could. Could it be, would God have been, what would have happened, do you think, if when the army came in, there were six windows with scarlet cords? Come on, man. Do you think God would have said, no, 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 I only said one? Negative. All of you die. No. What, what do you think would have happened if, if there was more than one window with a scarlet cord? What do you think would have happened if, if there were so many people in Rahab's house that it didn't fit anymore, and so they had to go across the street to the next house, and so Rahab had to give them a piece of the scarlet cord so they could put in their window? Now, remember, the spies never told Rahab that we're only going to save you and your family. They never put a limit on it. We never see that in the word. They just said, make sure you're in the house and make sure there's a scarlet cord in the window. What if God was waiting and giving every opportunity for every house to come under his covering? The New Testament tells us it's God's will that none should perish. So it's not his will to destroy all of these people. It's his will that none should perish. Could it be? What would have happened if after three days of this intimidation, the king would have just surrendered, opened the city gates, and said, you are the one true God. Your God will be my God, and we'll serve you, and we repent, and we turn from our wicked ways, and we turn from our idols. What if they brought all their idols to open the gates after three days? After four days, what if they brought all their idols to the front gates and just melted them there before the Lord and said, you are the one true God. We don't need this and I don't need the God of this or the God of this or the God of this and I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that and I don't need to do it any longer. I surrender to you. You are the God of heaven and earth. But, but we don't know what would have happened because it didn't. Six days passed, and they grew more and more fearful, but no one but Rahab and her family sought refuge and received God's mercy. See, church, I don't believe that God does anything to show off. I don't think he does things to showboat. I believe there's purpose, and I truly believe that if he waited seven days, it was to give them an opportunity to turn. God's grace is slow to judge and quick to deliver. Oh, that's good. 
I mean, look at our situation here. Our cities are probably more wicked than those cities were. What do you think? All the disgusting things that we read that happen in those cities, read your newspaper. Look on the internet. We're probably more wicked than, than, than they could ever be. We, we've taken it further because now in this generation, at least they, they made a God out of everything. We think we're gods. It's a totally different level of wickedness where we're at. We got people telling you you're God. You can have your own planet. You're laughing, but that's Mormonism. Those, those friendly commercials, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that's their background. You can have your own planet. Some of you are looking at me angry now because, man, they had the best commercials. <laughs> they do, but it's wicked. And if you knew your word, you'd know. The difference now, what are we doing? We remove prayer from our schools. We remove all the, we're covering up the, the, the commandments that were posted in our government buildings that covered up or taken down. What are we, we're wearing, we're proud that we're, there's more atheists today than they were back then. Back then everybody believed in something. Now everybody want to be an atheist. Ah, I don't want to believe in nothing. I saw, we were in the village, my wife and I, we were hanging out. She picked me up at work and we went to eat. And, and we passed by one of the, the crazy streets. <laughs> you know, where there's rainbow flags all the way through the street. Let's just leave it at that. And this old man comes walking toward us, and he's limping, he's busted, he's about 106. And he has a t-shirt that says, F-U-C-K Leviticus. I said, wow. Leviticus is one of the parts in the Bible that talks where, where the law says that man shouldn't be with man. And that's his shirt. F, F Leviticus, F the word, F God. I mean, that's the blatancy. That's how blatant we are out here. You think we're more wicked than God? I think so. I think we got them beat. But what's the difference? The difference now is Jesus. The difference is the grace of God that God has given us. The difference is there's a remnant left in this city. Come on. The difference is there are people left in this city that worship the one true God. There are people left in this city that are willing to be the salt and light. And so as salt, we're preventing the total decay of the city. Church, if you get this, this will change your life. As salt, you're preventing the total decay. This city is like a piece of rotting meat. We as the salt are preventing the total decay. We're preventing it from totally being useless. And worth nothing, ready to be thrown in the trash. We're preventing this city from God having to say, I want to take everybody out. Nobody from that city. There's no, nothing but wickedness there. We're pushing back the darkness, church. We're called to be the message of hope. We're called to be the message of salvation. We're called to be the message of forgiveness. Be that message. Be that message. What are people reading in you? We got all our Christian hang-ups, and we're so hung up with our Christian selfish nonsense that we forget what we're called to be. I'm called to light and shine. I'm called to salt and preserve. And instead we complain and bicker and bitter and oh, I want to go to this church, I go to that church, I go to Shut up! Just be where God wants you to be and be who God wants you to be. Trust me, your pastor won't care what church you go to. As long as you're serving God and serving him and, and being what you can be. I, I mean, most of you that complain and bicker like that, all you're doing is wasting a chair here or in another church anyway. Trust me, it's no loss. You're probably not tithing. You're probably not supporting the church. You probably don't help in any ministry. We're not losing anything. Have a great day. Be blessed. <laughs> Amen. 
Jesus used 12 to change the world. I don't need 300. Amen? We don't need a mega church. We build mega churches because we want, love the applause. We love the, we live for the applause. Pastor Gaga. Be the message, church. Listen, the story of Rahab takes away all our excuses. Rahab's label wasn't an obstacle to God, and neither is yours. Come on, man. Stand up or sit down, whatever, wherever you change it. Rahab's label, Rahab the prostitute, Rahab's label wasn't an obstacle to God, and neither is yours. Isn't it interesting in this passage that when they offered to spare Rahab's life, watch this, they said nothing about her lifestyle. Oh, snap. They said nothing about changing her life, changing her lifestyle, changing what she does, who she is. None of that even came into the picture. They said, when the army comes, you put a scarlet cord, and we're going to rescue you and take you to live among us. And you're going to live with the Israelites, meaning you're a Gentile. You're going to live with God's people from now on. Did they say, but you got to make sure you take three Sunday school classes. You got to make sure you stop tricking, uh, you stop hooking Trick. <laughs> they didn't say nothing. They didn't mention what she did. They knew what she did. They're standing in her whorehouse. And they said, to just put the cord there, and everybody that you tell, and everybody that's under your covering, we're going to rescue. Because you stepped out in faith. Because you believe in God. But I'm a prostitute. Yeah, but you believed in God. And not only did you believe in God, because all of them believed in God, but you believed in God and stepped out in faith. God rewards faith. Somebody say amen. amen. So, so they never even discussed this with her. They didn't say anything about changing this. Don't think when you go to Israel you're going to start a whorehouse over there. Don't think you're going to be a prostitute in our country. Don't think you're going to come around my church and start tricking. Right? They didn't say none of that. But listen, so many people stay away from church because they think that they have to get it all together before they come to church. So many people stay away from church because they say, well, I'm not ready yet. I'm not clean enough yet. I got to stop smoking first. I got to do this first. I got to change that. And then, and then I'll come. Where do they get that message from? They don't get it from the word. They get it from where, Gretchen? What you say, Gretchen? They get it from? From us. They're reading us. That's the wrong message. They're reading our religious and self-righteous attitudes, amen? It's time to show something different, church. It's time to show the world something real. Listen, there's a real bunch of knuckleheads up at the sanctuary that they'll love on you. There are a bunch of fools in there that they'll put you in ministry. There are a bunch of fools in there. They'll, they'll have you learning and, and, and taking care of kids and speaking to young people. Yeah, you! Yeah, but I'm a drug dealer. All right, that's who you were. Don't get no ideas, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. But the point is, Rahab had a strong label. And God's people rescued her and all who were hers. And that's an amazing story. Rahab's label wasn't too embarrassing for God. But for some of us in church, it would be, right? For some of us, it would be. We don't want the, the, my, my friend from the, from the neighborhood, Sasa. We don't want Sasa coming in and making a ruckus. Oh, that bothers us. I loved it, man, when I was working full time here in the church. And so I spent time with him all during the week. And so during that time, we were so close that I'd be preaching a message. There were only, you know, 50 or 60 of us here. But I'd be preaching a message. And my man would walk in, and the ushers knew already, leave him alone. He'd come up to the front. He'd give me a kiss while I'm preaching. Give me a kiss. He'd sit down. He'd do the sign of the cross a hundred times. He'd sit down. And then 30 seconds into the message, he'd get up. All right, Bobby, I got to go, Bobby. I love you, man. Love you, man. And he'll walk out. I love that. I love that. We don't care. I know that he couldn't make two sentences because he's so incoherent. 
but I sit and let him listen, talk to me. He tell me, I know his kids, is, one of his sons is called Joey Love. His other son is Ray Love. That's not his last name, but that's just what he calls them. But it's beautiful. We need to be light and be preserving. God knows him. That's the only reason he's still alive. Because he knows that he could come in here. He, he tells everybody in the store, you know, that pastor, me and that, we go way back. That dude, that's my, that's my, that's my ninja. That's what he says, you know, to everybody in the store. He said, that dude's my ninja. That's me and that and me, pastor, we go back. I met him here. I never knew him ever. It's a beautiful story, though. Listen, Rahab's labels wasn't too embarrassing for God. We can't let people's labels be too embarrassing for us. Amen? Listen, let me show you. Let me show you. I'm going to close. Uh, let, me, let me show you. Well, I'm near closing. Let me show you what, what God does with our old labels. Look what God does with our old labels. Rahab was saved from destruction that day, right? She was taken to live among the Israelites. She was the first Gentile convert, so she was the first non-Jewish people to live among God's people. That's amazing already. Rahab the prostitute was the first non-Jewish people to be accepted by his people and to live among them. Now listen, watch this. Look what happened to Rahab. Rahab met a man named Salma. I know some of you are upset because you've been in church 15 years, you haven't met the man yet. This prostitute goes right into the kingdom. Right away she meets a man. I'm sorry. This is just the way the story happens. Don't get mad at me. But, but yours is coming. Praise God. Wait for it because God does it right. Watch this. This will get you hope, I hope. Watch this. Rahab met a man named Salma. Salma, he didn't take Rahab by her old title. He just knew Rahab as a woman of faith. And so he married her. He married her because he saw her as a woman of faith. Watch this. Salma was from the tribe of Judah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. He married Rahab and they had a son named Boaz. Uh-oh. My church people getting excited. So probably because of how he was raised and what he had seen in his parents, Boaz married Ruth, who was a Moabite widow. The Moabites were just as despicable as the Canaanites among God's people. Ruth married, so so Boaz marries Ruth. Ruth and Boaz had a son named Obed. Obed, where's my man Obed? we We actually have a man named Obed in the church. I love that. That's my favorite name in the church. All right. But pay attention here. Ruth and Boaz had a son named Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse had many sons, one of which was King David. So so that gives Rahab a new title. She's not Rahab the prostitute. She's now Rahab the mother of kings. Because you know, if you know a little bit about your history here, you know from the lineage of David came the Messiah. You know Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. This should blow your mind if it's the first time you're hearing it. Listen, God wasn't limited to how he could send his son, right? God could have sent his son any way he wanted. He's God. He could have chosen any line. He could have chosen anything, any way he wanted to do. He could have chosen anyone from everywhere. But the grace of God includes Rahab, the prostitute, in his lineage. Listen, church. Grace doesn't require people with embarrassing labels to shed them as a prerequisite. Grace enables us to do so. Grace doesn't demand, grace assists. When you look at the story of Rahab and God's patience with the nations, the message is unmistakable. Grace is slow to judge and quick to deliver. 
family, be that message. Be slow to judge and quick to deliver. Amen? Amen. Be the message, Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Jesus in me, the hope of glory. Listen, maybe you're here today, you're just not there yet. Maybe you've got some labels. Maybe you came from labels. Maybe you got labels early in life. Maybe you messed up so bad that you've had a couple of labels stick to you. I just want you to receive that today. God is slow to judge and quick to deliver. And God wants to label you today with your destiny, not your past. Some of you got labels, man. Right now, it's almost like they're written on your forehead. Some of you got labels, and some of you got your heads down because you know the labels that you're carrying. Some of the labels that we're carrying are really heavy. Some of the labels have been put on us with nails, with scars. Some of us carry labels that are still bleeding because they were put on us so forcefully. Abused. Raped. God wants to look at your future and label you with your future today, not your past. Listen, before you think that you're less than anybody here, everybody in this church is a used to be. Every single one of us is a used to be. I used to be a liar. You used to be a thief. You used to be an addict. You used to be an alcoholic. You used to be a, a, an adulterer. You used to be this. You used to be running around on your wife. You used to be cheating on your husband. You used to be a drug user. You used to be. But when God gets a hold of somebody, the beautiful word is this. When God gets a hold of us, not only are we free, but we are reconciled to God. I love that word, to be reconciled. That means to have things made right. That means to have things covered. That means to have things put in the past. To be, the word says we've been reconciled to God. And the beautiful part about it is that then it tells us, and God has made us all reconcilers. So listen, I'm not going to let you wait one more minute. If you haven't made that decision today, if you haven't been reconciled to God, if you haven't been reconciled to God, if your wrongs haven't been made right with God yet, if you're saying, I need to be reconciled, I'm telling you, do it today. You're here today for that reason, to be reconciled to God. Because after today, it's no longer about you. It's about you being a reconciler of people to God. God doesn't want you wasting any more time worried about you and your reconciliation. You do that once with God. Be reconciled to God. After that, doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean you're going to do everything right. But it means you're going to live with the Spirit of God in you. The Holy Spirit who is the counselor. He's our guide. He also convicts us when we do wrong. And so, so God lives, God, God lives in us, God in us that creates be, us being the message. It's no longer to leave here and be a hot mess, it's to be a message, amen? So listen, if you need to be reconciled with God, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come real quick. Worship team, you can come. <coughs> if you need to be reconciled with God, do it right now. Don't wait another moment, just come forward. Just come forward, stop waiting, don't look around, just come forward. Come forward. Just come. If it's you, just come. Be reconciled to God right now. Listen, God has been marching around the walls of your heart. He's been marching around. He's been sounding the trumpets. He's been marching. He's sending the worshipers around your, the walls of your heart again and again and again. And it's not to condemn you and it's not to judge you. It's just to receive you. It's to make the walls come down. It's so that you can be reconciled. Amen. There's more here. Don't wait. Be reconciled to God. I'm not going to charge you anything. Be reconciled to God. This is the free gift of grace. Be reconciled to God. Don't wait another moment. Don't be on the fence. Be reconciled to God. Yes. 
prayer team, I want you to pray new labels on them. New labels. New labels. Amen. While they're up here getting prayer, let me just whisper at you for a moment. Next week is National Back to Church Sunday. What is that? That is just a gimmick. That's just an excuse. That's just some marketing genius that wants to make money selling flyers and t-shirts. But it is also a good reason for us to use it as an excuse to invite people to church. So I'm going to invite you to reach out this week. And listen, some of you won't reach out to some people because you've already put labels on them. Start with clean, fresh. Remove the labels that you have on people. Some of the people that are up here right now, you never thought would be up here. Trust me, if you go back in my Facebook, some of the people that knew me from back then never thought I'd be up here. So remove the labels and just be the message this week. Be the message this week. I want to see right now, we got about 10 or 15 people signed up to get baptized next week. Anybody that hasn't been baptized, I want to call you into the water next week. Anybody that hasn't been baptized, I want to rejoice with you in the water. I want to go into the water, come out new next week. If you haven't done that, if you got baptized as a kid, as a baby, that's not the same thing. Come to the baptism class afterwards and learn a little more about that so you can be informed. If you did it such a long time ago that you don't, it didn't mean anything to you, make it mean something. Come to the class after service. Amen. I love you guys. Be blessed. Continue to be a blessing. And let's just rejoice and worship really low as these, these just get prayed for and get new labels put on their lives.